If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite your attention, please, to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and there's one verse of Scripture they're focusing today, and that's verse 5. And as you know, we're in, our, in a series of messages talking about passing the torch. And I appreciate uh, Murphy's prayer about uh, hoping and praying that uh, I'll not uh, let the torch uh, come to a small flicker uh, amber, but that it would be ablaze with the glory and grace of Almighty God. That was the way that it was passed on to me. And I trust that that will be the way that it will be passed on to the next pastor who will come and pick up the reins and take the torch and run forward with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and that it might blaze with all the glory of our Heavenly Father. All praise to Him anyway. So the message today is another in a series of looking at passing the torch in preparation for uh, my retirement as well as uh, the search committee as they continue to follow the Lord's leadership. There is an individual out there somewhere that the Lord has been preparing to take the torch and carry on. And we just need to continue praying for them and being faithful to what God has called us to do here. And in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, in speaking to Timothy, Timothy was his child in the faith. It was believed that Paul was instrumental in leading Timothy to trust the Lord. And uh, uh, he was a companion of the Apostle Paul's, eventually became the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And Paul was writing First and Second Timothy to him to encourage him as a pastor. And uh, what he said to uh, Timothy, I believe that he says to all of us as Christians, not just to the pastors, but uh, certainly uh, first and foremost, because that's what he's addressing in the second chapter, is Timothy as a pastor, that he's not to look uh, how the people to look down on him simply because he was young and inexperienced, uh, but to trust the Lord and to be faithful to the Lord and his calling. And uh, it's responsible for all of us to be that way. And so uh, we're looking at these seven figures of speech or metaphors. The, the first one that we looked at was in the first two verses. That had to do with being a faithful steward. That is, a steward is a manager, someone to whom another individual has entrusted something. And in this case, uh, Paul has passed on to Timothy the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's depending on Timothy to remain faithful to that responsibility as he passes it on to faithful men and to others. And so we're to be faithful and uh, don't, uh, don't drop the torch. Don't let it go out. The second metaphor he talked about was being a good soldier and that if you are a soldier and you're in service, you're in war, you don't get entangled with the affairs of life that you're very committed to that. And I think the challenge there, of course, be to not, not go AWOL. Uh, those of you who've been in the service know what AWOL stands for. It means absent without leave. And I would hope and pray and trust that you as a Christian and especially as a member of our church uh, would not go AWOL when it comes time for me to retire and for the next uh, interim to come and fill in the gap until you find uh, an under-shepherd to pick up the torch and to carry on with it. So don't go AWOL on your attendance, on your prayers, on your, on your giving, on your witnessing, on your sharing, on your being faithful in everything that God's called you to do. Today we're going to be looking at uh, an athlete a disciplined athlete and what is involved there. So let's look at it. Second Timothy chapter two and verse five. Also, he writes, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. 
Now, there are very few athletes who win anything by accident. It just doesn't happen. Winning is the result of hard work. It includes long hours of practice and a lifestyle of serious discipline. Our generation is a generation in love with sports. There are all kinds of athletic opportunities for people of all ages, beginning with our children in Little League and uh, baseball and football and basketball. Then there's track and soccer and tennis and golf and hockey. We are a sports-minded people. And in Paul's time, sports was a very big thing. There were three great games that were known among the world of Paul's day. There were the Olympic Games that were held at Mount Olympus. There were the Pantheon Games that were held at Delphi. And the Isthmian Games that were held at Corinth. These games were staggered in the time and events so that the wealthy and the elite, the jet set of Paul's day, could travel in their chariots from event to event and make appearances at all the games. There were a variety of events in all of these Olympic games, from wrestling to boxing to javelin throwing to discus throwing to chariot races, and the major event of all, foot racing. The most popular figures of Paul's day were the athletes. Cicero, it is said, complained that athletes received more fame and honor and attention than the leaders of the world did. In Paul's day, almost every city had an amphitheater, coliseums, a circus where chariot races were conducted. The athletes in their games were rigorously trained mentally and physically and spiritually. I believe the Apostle Paul was a sports fan. I believe that uh, there are many references that he makes about boxing in the air and running a race that suggests that he, he loves sports. And I think that if, if Paul were alive today, that he would watch sports on television. He would attend every game that he possibly could. He'd read the sport pages in the newspaper and probably subscribe to Sports Illustrated magazine, with the exception of the swimsuit edition, of course. <laughs> So Paul was interested in sports and athletics. He talks about boxing the air and running the race and being prepared and fighting a good fight and finishing the course. So it's not a surprise that uh, when we come to this passage of scripture that Paul would pick up this image of the athlete and uh, give some uh, wonderful instructions and encouragement to young Timothy uh, to pick up the torch and to run with it and to not fail as an athlete. Uh, with that in mind, then there are six things on your outline that I've had printed out for you that will help you to keep up as we work our way through this idea of being disciplined as a good athlete. And the first one, of course, is that the discipline that every athlete had to endure there had, they had to be very disciplined or they could, not, uh, they could not participate. And I get this from verse 5 where it says twice in verse 5, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. And the Greek word for compete here means to wrestle. It means to struggle. It means to endure and work your way through a very difficult thing. Now, depending on the kind of sports or athletic activity that one would participate in uh, would determine the, the degree and severity of, of the, bliss, the discipline that they would have to go through. 
uh, but they would have to train on a daily basis. Especially if you were going to participate in one of the Olympics, uh, then certainly you were required to, to spend 10 months in advance of a daily rigorous exercise program to get in shape and to stay in shape. And at the end of it, of those 10 months of discipline and training and exercising, you would have to stand before the pagan god Zeus and swear that you had kept all of the rules according to the discipline and the training or else you could not participate in the game. And so we're not talking about just here and now, once in a while, a day, a week, or a month out of the year or whatever. We're talking about a grinding, enduring, difficult, intense struggle of training and discipline so that when the event did occur, then you would be probably prepared for that. And it required a great determination to win on anyone's part who desired to participate. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean in what we're talking about uh, to be physically uh, trained and disciplined, although there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Paul is in favor of that as well. But, you know, sometimes those who we think are going to be the winners turn out to be the losers. And there are a lot of examples of this in history, of course, and in fables. Aesop's fable, you remember, the the fable about the tortoise and the hare, uh, the the rabbit and the turtle. Uh, The rabbit always bragging about how fast he was, and and the turtle challenged him to a race. And, of course, you know the story of Aesop's fable, how the rabbit, uh, overconfident, uh, stopped and took a nap, and the The turtle, very slow and consistent in what he was doing, just slowly moved right on. He eventually run the race and and won it. And uh, so it's not necessarily always the the physically fit that's that's able to to win the victory. It's the person who's determined to do it and not stop. Uh, There are some examples of this. If you've ever seen the Rocky movies, uh, you know uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone, who wrote the the script for all of those movies, and of course, it's about the underdog. It's about this guy named Rocky Balboa, who was a small-time boxer who seems to be going nowhere in life until the day comes when fortune fell his way, and he was selected to be a competitor against the champion, and he would not give up. He trained, and he endured, and he was determined, and he eventually came out the winner of all of that. You remember David and Goliath. Uh, You remember how David went out to meet Goliath and how Goliath taunted him and ridiculed him of being a runt. You you can't, you you come out to meet a child? Is this the best that Israel can do? And he taunted him. He held him in disdain. He scoffed at him and mocked him. He said, do you come to me with a stick, talking about the staff that was in David's hand. He said, you come to me, I'll, I'll take you and I'll feed your flesh to the birds. But look what God did for David and through David. And David became the champion of them all. So you don't necessarily have to be physically uh, in shape to to be a winner. Uh, Certainly being physically shaped is important. Uh, But uh, when we trust the Lord and allow him to fill us and empower us, we can do anything. We can become giants ourselves spiritually. With this in mind, in 1 Timothy, we are in chapter Second uh, uh, Timothy, but turn back for just a moment to First Timothy, First Timothy chapter four, verses seven through nine, and I'm going to be reading it. Uh, this passage of scripture from the New Living Translation, First Timothy four, seven through nine. This is what Paul said. 
Spend your time and energy in training yourself for spiritual fitness. Physical exercise has some value, but spiritual exercise is much more important for it promotes a reward in both this life and in the next. So Paul was not saying that we're not to do physical exercise and to be physically fit. I think the Lord wants us to be that way. He wants us uh, to be physically fit and to be a healthy instrument uh, that he can take and use. So it's not that Paul was against physical fitness. He was saying, however, compared to spiritual fitness, spiritual fitness is far superior and that you are to train yourself in spiritual fitness. Now, what would be involved in becoming spiritually fit? Well, I would suggest six things at least, and these are not on your outline, but they're just suggestions that came to me as I thought about what it means to be spiritually fit. First of all, it would require a daily denial of yourself. A daily denial. Why? Because it's self and the world and the devil are the three major enemies that you and I face. You need to take your ego off of the throne of your life and put Jesus there. And it is a daily requirement. Uh, Luke 9, 23 says, take up your cross daily and follow me. The cross that, Paul was, uh, that Jesus was talking about and that Paul was talking about was, was not a, a cross that you hang around your neck and use as an ornament. He's talking about a cross on which a person dies. A cross like the one that Jesus died on. And so to take up your cross daily means that every day when you wake up every morning, you die to self. You, you just say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I ye live, yet not I, but Christ who lives within me. And so just as a physical uh, athlete would do a daily training and exercising, we need to daily deny self. A second thing is, of course, daily prayer. Begin each day with prayer. Ask the Lord to take the day that is before you and guide you and empower you to live for him. And every day we ought to spend some time before the Lord in prayer, especially before we go out to meet the day. Daily Bible reading. Daily Bible reading ought to be a part of your spiritual training, uh, along with the daily memorization of scriptures. We need to not just read the word of God and not just say, well, I've, I finished my daily reading, but do you re retain it? Do you just read it to, to get through with it or do you meditate on it and let the Holy Spirit open the, the meaning of the verse of Scripture to you? Do you hide it in your heart that you might not sin against the, the Lord? Do you use it as a sword as you go out on a daily basis to confront the devil and the temptations that come your way? Do you take the time to memorize a verse of Scripture? If all of us would just commit to me memorizing one verse of Scripture, that would be a whole lot more than a lot of people do. To take God's word and read it and study it and meditate on it and memorize it and hide it in our hearts. A daily spiritual exercise for us. And then the daily walking in the spirit. Filling of the Holy Spirit. Walking in the spirit that you might not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Daily resisting temptation because every single day you are tempted. The devil will tempt you every single day of your life and he will... Uh, handicap you and hamstring you and, and, and cause you to be disqualified to serve the Lord. And so it's a daily resistant thing that you do. And then the daily sharing of the gospel. 
of simply witnessing to someone who's lost, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others. These are just a few of the spiritual exercises that we can do every day and become disciplined before the Lord. And so there's the discipline that we must endure. Secondly, there are the rules that we must obey. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, he says, Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. In the Greek games that I had mentioned at the beginning of the message, which continued even until Paul's day under the Roman rule, were still being held in Paul's day, and each participant had to meet three qualifications. First of all, he had to be a true-born Greek. Couldn't be a foreigner, so he had to be true-born Greek. He had to prepare at least 10 months for the games and swear to it before the statue of Zeus. And then he had to compete within the specific rules for each event. He had to abide by the rules. If he violated the rules, then he would be disqualified to participate. And, you know, in our day and time, let me, let me look at some contemporary examples of people that have failed. A major problem for some athletes in our day is taking enhancement-performing drugs, and it has disqualified some of them, if not all of them. I think about Lance Armstrong, the cyclist, the world-renowned professional road-racing cyclist, he won the Tour de France seven consecutive times from 1999 to 2005, but then was stripped of all his awards because he was found guilty of drug de uh, doping, uh, drug enhancement, uh, participating, enhancing his physical ability. And he, he lost all of it, lost all of the awards, all of the benefits, and lost his reputation. He is disgraced to this day because he failed to abide by the rules. Doesn't necessarily involve drugs. Take Pete Rose, for example, former Major League Baseball player and manager. Rose played baseball from 1963 to 1986 and managed from 84 to 89. He was a switch hitter is the all-time major leader in his hits, 4,256 of them. He played 3,562 games. He batted 14,000 times. Uh, he uh, was the, won three World Re Series rings, three battle titles, uh, Most Valuable Player Award, two gold gloves, the Rookie of the Year Award, also made 17 all-star appearances at an unequaled five different positions. He played second base, left field, right field, third base, and first base. A wonderful player, gifted player, but then was prohibited from being able to enter the Hall of Fame, stripped of many of the awards that he received. Why? Because he gambled on sports, gambled on baseball games, gambled on his own team, although he claimed that he gambled in favor of rather than against. But you cannot violate those rules and expect to win, although you may have won the event, disqualifies you in so many other ways but then of course we have a good one calvin ripkin cal ripkin jr known as the iron man he is a former baseball shortstop and third baseman who played 21 seasons in the major league baseball for the baltimore orioles 
One is positions. Uh, he, he compiled 3,184 hits, 431 home runs, over almost 1,700 uh, runs batted in during his career. He won two Gold Glove awards for his defense. He was a 19-time All-Star player and was twice named American League Most Valuable Player. He's known best for holding the record of consecutive games played. He played 2,632 games and never missed a game. He surpassed Lou Garrett's break or streak of 2,130 that stood for over 56 years. Nobody thought they'd ever see someone break Lou Garrett's record, but Kyle did. In 2007, he was elected to the National Baseball Hall of Fame in his first year of eligibility and currently has the fourth highest voting percentage of all time. Kyle Ripken Jr. once said this, you are challenged by the game of baseball to do your very best day in and day out, and that's all that I've ever tried to do, to do my best day in and day out. And if that's true in the physical realm of baseball or or cycle racing or whatever it may be, would it not also be true for you and for me as Christians that we could say day in and day out, I did my best. That was what it was all about. So there's the discipline that we must endure, the rules that we must obey. And then number three, the teamwork that Paul was saying to Timothy, he must support. Paul had teammates, Paul wasn't alone, although oftentimes he felt alone. But Paul had his teammates. There was Silas. There was Timothy, Barnabas, John Mark, Priscilla and Aquila, and Titus. Just a few names of people along whom with Paul spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, Paul said to the church at Philippi, Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that what I hear of you, that you will be standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together. So Paul was addressing the church at Philippi, not just the pastor at Philippi, but the church at Philippi. He said, when I hear about you, I hope that what I hear is that you're, you're all of one spirit, that you're of one mind, that you're striving and working together to carry on the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the church at Corinth, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 6 and 9, he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the increase, for we are God's fellow workers. So Paul said, I'm not doing this by myself. Here's Apollos over here planting the seed and, and someone else watering it. But it's God who gives the increase, all working together. Over in the Gospel of John, as you come to the end of the book of the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus has met with the disciples on the, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and He's prepared a breakfast for them. Uh, uh, Peter had gotten impatient and decided to go fishing and, and the other disciples decided to go along with him and, and uh, they're out on the boat in the, in the, on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus has prepared the breakfast and, 
And to make a long story short, uh, they end up coming on shore. Uh, Jesus is talking to, to Peter and the disciples. I think he's reassuring uh, Peter that all has been forgotten because Peter had denied him three times. And Jesus asked him three times, do you love me, Peter? And, and finally, Peter gets the message. And yes, he said, Lord, you know I do love you. As they started to break up and go their ways, Peter turned from looking at Jesus. And as he walked away, he saw John the disciple whom Jesus loved. And looking at John, Peter turns back to Jesus and he says, what about John? What's going to happen to him? Jesus looked at him and he says, what difference does it make? Don't look at John. Go do what I told you to do. Feed my sheep. Love my people. So Peter always trying to get, do something else to get distracted instead of obeying what Jesus said, looks at John and said, well, what's going to happen to him? What difference does it make? What difference does it make what happens to me or to Linda or to somebody else? Keep your eyes on Jesus, folks. That's what it's all about, not me. Keep your eye on Jesus and, 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 and don't worry. The Lord will take care of me. The Lord's going to take care of Linda. We're, we're not going to drop dead. I hope not at any time soon. We're going to still be here. We're still going to be busy. I don't know what the next step the Lord has for me. You're talking about following blindly. I'm just trusting the Lord to open the doors, whatever he wants me to do. I just know that now it's time for me to change positions. And so pray for me. But, but don't get caught up as, oh, what did Brother Reed do? Why did Dr. Reed do this? Do that. I want somebody like Dr. Reed. I, I want somebody better than me. I want somebody that can preach a whole lot better than I can in shorter sermons. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. <laughs> Just flies over my head. <laughs> so, uh, you keep your eyes on Jesus. It's all teamwork, folks. I'm not abandoning you and leaving you alone. You know, the 35 years that I had the privilege of serving as your pastor, I've had some of the finest staff members to work with that God could ever give a pastor. Those of the past as well as those of the future. I think about Bobby, our associate pastor. Brad, our administrator. Andre, our tunehister. David, our youth minister. Melanie, our children's minister. Jonathan, a media communication director. Joel, the leader of our, our contemporary service. Wonderful staff members that God has allowed me. You know, years ago when, when uh, we were still in debt, paying off the Christian Life Center. And um, when we came, I think we owed $800,000 balance of the Christian Life Center. And we paid it down. Finally, when we got down to the last, we paid it all off. I asked you, the church family, I said, could we take the money that we've been paying on the debt and invest it in more ministers and ministries? And you've allowed me to do that. And through the years, we've been able now, counting myself, we have eight ministers for a church our size. That's unthinkable. You don't find very many churches our size who have eight full-time ministers. But you see, I can't reach everybody. You know, the, the average, the statistics are that only one person, there's a hundred people, that's the most that any one person can take care of. But when you've got eight people, a hundred apiece, you've got 800 people that are being ministered to. And all of my staff, all of our staff, I should say, or is an extension of my ministry. 
They can go places that I can't go to. They can do things and say things that I can't say. But by working as a team, we're all in this together. The same thing is true about our secretaries, our support staff. We couldn't do anything at all in this church without our secretaries, Raina, my secretary, Barbara, Lynn, Stephanie, Marilyn. All of these girls <laughs> are, are, are dedicated to this church and dedicated to the Lord and dedicated to the staff. They, they're there to help us. We could not as a staff accomplish what we do if it were not for our secretaries. Our custodians, Carlos and Juana and Maria, keep this place clean and in order so that when we come together and worship on Sunday, we have a nice clean place in order to worship the Lord. We take many times these kinds of people for, the, for granted, and, and yet we're all a team. We're all working together, advancing the kingdom of God, keeping the light burning as we pass the torch. So it's all a teamwork together. Henry Ford once said, coming together is a beginning. Keeping together is progress. Thinking together is unity. And working together is success. So we all work together. Lee Iacocca, who uh, was the American automobile executive for Ford Motor Company that was responsible for the development of the Ford Mustang and the Pinto, in the 1960s, he became the CEO of Chrysler Corporation in the 1980s. He made this comment. A main reason capable people fail to advance is that they don't work well with their colleagues. So the reason why some people just don't advance and don't succeed, they just don't know how to get along with one another and work together. That's what Paul, I think, is saying here. You've got to abide by the rules and you've got to work together as a team. We're all in this together. I may water and another may plant, but it's God overall who gives the increase. Number four, there's the concentration that he must practice. Athletes must guard against being distracted because of the crowd or because of other athletes. Paul said in Philippians 3, 13, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal and the goal, uh, goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul did not say many things I do. He said one thing I do. Paul singled out one thing that he was committed to and devoted to. And, and concentrated on, and that was reaching the goal for which God had called him. And again, thinking about Peter looking at John and saying, well, what about John? No, God has a plan and a purpose for John. Let me take care of John. Peter, you follow me. You keep the goal in mind. You do what I've instructed you to do, and I'll take care of the rest. And the same thing is true for you and for me that we will concentrate. You know, a lot of races, I, th I think about the time when I was in high school, you know, the, the farther removed you are from high school, the greater athlete you were. <laughs> and I played football in high school and I ran track in high school, believe it or not. It was a long time ago before the world was ever cooled off. <laughs> but I ran track, I ran 100 yard, the 220. I was on the 440 relay and I went to state on the mile relay. And uh, it took a lot of training. And, and uh, in Austin, we were there and, and we trained and we, we concentrated. You know, if you were running a race, 
You had to be careful. You had to keep your eye on the finish line. You couldn't worry about the, the sound of the, of the guy running next to you in the other lane coming up behind you because if you started to look back, you were going to fail. You, you were going to mess up. I, I've told you the story many times before, so if you remember this, just act like you've never heard it before. But when we went to state on the mile relay, I was a starter for, for, the, for our, our team. And I ran the first quarter mile, handed the baton off. Uh, we were in third place. Dangerfield team was always, they, they beat us every time we had a, a track race meet. Uh, so we were determined. We, we had an anchor guy that could beat, uh, you know, he was the best we had. And so when I went around first time around and handed the baton off, we were in third place. I never hurt so much in all my life. My stomach, excuse my guts were hurting on the inside. I, I was hurt, but I, I got, got him in third place. The second guy that was running, we nicknamed him Popeye because the calves on his leg were that big around. He, he looked like a toothpick with an olive stuck on it or something. <laughs> but I handed the baton off to, to Popeye and he took it and he kept running. He came back when he handed it off. It was in third place. Randy Tidmore received the baton from Popeye and he started running. And when he came around, the last... Last 110 yards, that's when it happened. All of a sudden, Randy Tidmore just kind of locked in place. And Randy Tidmore fell down. And we lost the race. In those days, track uh, places were made out of uh, cinder, uh, volcanic ash and stuff. When he hit that ground, he just slid all just scarred all over the place. We nicknamed him Scab. <laughs> I've always wanted to preach a sermon entitled, Randy Tidmore Fell Down. <laughs> you got to stay focused. Sometimes you will fall down. Sometimes you won't make it to the finish line, but it won't be because you didn't get distracted. You stay focused on what God's called you to do. Then the next thing, of course, is the reward he must envision. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. You see, the difference between physical Olympics and athletic events where there can only be one winner Every Christian is a winner who follows the instructions and abides by the rules and stays committed to Jesus. And there will be a reward for each of us. In 1 Peter 1, Paul describes the kind of reward that it is. He said in athletics, you get a reward. It's what usually an olive branch woven together that's placed on your head. And how long does that last? Not very long. It begins to wilt and turn brown and black and disintegrates. Awards that you win, as, one, as wonderful as they may be, will eventually tarnish. The football jacket and the track jacket that I won has shrunk over the years. <laughs> Can't even button them when I try it on. The medals have turned green. The ribbons have just faded away. They don't last. But what Christ offers us does. 
an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away and it's reserved in heaven and protected by God and ready to be revealed in the last days. A missionary couple that I read about after serving a lifetime on the mission field were returning to America on the same boat that President Theodore Roosevelt was on. Roosevelt was met with a great fanfare a band was playing. People of various newspapers were present. There was a tremendous crowd there cheering him on and welcoming home. But no one was there to greet the missionaries. The husband was greatly depressed and discouraged. He said to his wife, surely could there not have been at least one, one somebody who could have met us there and say, welcome home. Good job. Well done. But his wife looked at him and said, remember, honey. We're not home yet. The sixth and final thing is the devotion that we must possess. Now go to the book of Acts for this. Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. And I read it out of the New Living Translation. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing his work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. In my how I have read that over and over again. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. So my work may come to an end as a pastor, but it will not come to an end of my telling other people about Jesus. Wherever it is that I may go, I hope and pray and trust that I'll be faithful in sharing and passing the torch of the gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone who will read it. You know, we talk about amateurs, not professional athletes, but amateurs. The word amateur comes from a Latin word, amateur, which means lover. An amateur athlete participates in the athletics because he loves it. He plays golf or ball, or baseball or tennis or hockey or whatever it may be as an amateur because he loves what he's doing or she is doing. That's why I'm a pastor. That's why God called me to do this. I'm devoted to serving the Lord until the day I drop dead or until the Lord comes and raptures us out of this world. I'm haunted by the New Testament example of a fellow worker of, Timoth of Paul's by the name of Demas. Demas is a man who is mentioned only three times in the Bible. The first time he is mentioned, he is mentioned in the book of Philemon in the 24th verse where Paul calls Demas a fellow worker of the gospel. Then you come to the book of Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14. Paul mentions Demas by name, but that's all he says about Demas. Doesn't call him a fellow worker. Just says, and Demas is with me. But then you come to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, where it says of Demas, Demas has deserted me, having loved this present world. Oh, I hope that would never be said of me, nor of you, nor any of us that we would turn our backs on the Lord and desert him, never to serve him for as long as we live. One day, like the 24 elders of Revelation 4, 10, and 11, we will bow down before the Lord who sits on the throne and we will lay our crowns at his feet 
and worship him who lives forever and ever as we cast our crowns before him, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power and riches and wisdom and might and blessing. May it be said of us, as it was said of Mary, who bathed the feet of Jesus with the bottle of ointment, she has done what she could. May it be said of me, may it be said of you as well, that we have done what we could as God has led us, and that we could use the Latin expression, soli deo gloria, to God alone be the glory. May we bow together, please. What a challenge, what a wonderful opportunity you've placed upon us, our Father, day by day to serve you, to be faithful to you, to play by the rules, to be devoted to you and to serve you as amateurs, people who love you and love what we do. We thank you for this church, for what it stands for and has stood for through the years since its beginning in 1884. And for those pastors who've preceded me in being faithful and taking the torch and passing it on to the next generation, that I and this church body as well might do the same for the next pastor who's to come, that the kingdom of God might continue to grow until the day Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior, returns in all of his glory, world without end, that we would be together forever and ever, never to be separated separated again, continually doing the work that you've designed for us to do. Hasten the day, Lord, that you'll return. Until that time comes, may we be faithful in passing the torch. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Andre is going to come and lead us in our hymn of invitation. If there is a need that you have to make a decision to join our church or to be saved or whatever it may be, we sing this opportunity for you or as an opportunity for you to respond. So let's please stand and you come. God is